0: Well, hey, happy Mother's Day uh, to you 2020 here. It's such a, a different Mother's Day than we're used to, but we just wanted you to know, moms, grandmas out there, that we, we love you, we are grateful for you, we see you, and we are so appreciative of the love and care that you show us and the kids in your life. It's such a, a picture of God's love, God's sacrificial love for us. We see it so clearly in your sacrificial love. We know it's not easy to be a mom, as this video just showed us in such a fun way. There's so much you do that we, we can never quite repay you. And so we just want to say we love you, we see you, uh, thank you. We just hope and pray that you have such a sweet day with your family, uh, celebrating that you feel appreciated, that, uh, yeah, there's just a special time for you today and know that God sees you and is at work in you. We also want you to know that, hey, we have a special little thank you. We'd love to give uh, each of you a little gift card to a local coffee shop. So moms, we know you need that espresso. There's so much. We want to keep you going. And so we just want to say thank you. So if you fill out the connection card there at the top right of your screen, just let us know that you're with us. We'd love to be able to send you out a little gift card just to say thank you. So make sure to do that. Uh, also, hey, if you're here this morning and, and, and Mother's Day uh, is, is a painful day for you, I know that uh, for many uh, people who have either lost moms or, or, or children or have um, wanted to be a mom and, and you're not, we know that this day could, could stir up a lot of uh, heartache for you. So we just wanted you to know as well that, that we see you, that God sees you, that we love you. and We're going to be praying for you as well, that you'd sense God's comfort and peace with you. Would you join me in a word of prayer for our moms? Father, we want to say thank you for uh, the mothers that you have given us, and the grandmothers, and these strong women who have, have shown us your love, who have sacrificed so much to meet our needs, to form us and shape us into the people that we are today. God, we praise you for them. We pray that you would bless them. We pray that Uh, all the mothers of FBC and all the mothers that are tuning in today would have such a sweet day of rest, of joy, of sensing, Lord, um, your uh, presence with them and this special sweet role that you have called them to as mothers. We thank you for them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, good morning and uh, welcome to our worship service. My name is Pastor Matt Uh, And I'm just so glad that you're with us, tuning in online, wherever you are and however you're watching. Thanks for uh, being a part of our time together this morning. Uh, Would you join me in a brief word of prayer as we get ready to jump in to the text? Father, we love you, and we, uh, we thank you for a chance to sing to you, to pray to you, to now look to your word. And we just ask, Lord, for your help. Would you teach us? Would you guide us? Would you... Uh, change us by this time uh, spent in your word with you. God, we give you this time. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, uh, last week we kicked off this new sermon series in the book of Ruth, this fabulous short little book in the Old Testament where we are introduced to two widows who have fallen on hard times, one especially named Naomi. If you were with us last week, you saw how she lost her home, she lost her husband, she lost her sons, no grandchildren, basically no hope for a future. I mean, it's a real train wreck of a story. And in the midst of all this pain, all this loss, Naomi also lost her belief in the goodness of God. She takes a look at the devastation in her life and she concludes you know what God must be against me God must be against me he's emptied me out God has made my life bitter I mean sure God is powerful but is he really good I mean do I believe based on my life and how it's gone do I believe what they taught me in Sunday school and maybe that's the same question that you have on, on your mind and your heart this morning as so we're sitting here in 2020 with all that's going on. The book of Ruth really is an exploration of that question. Is God good? Can we have hope? Can we trust God even in hard places? Where is God in the midst of pain and loss? With that, friends, let's continue the story in chapter 2 of the book of Ruth. I want you to see how things unfold. Chapter 2, verse 1 starts like this. It says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So at the end of chapter one, Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, have returned uh, to Bethlehem. This is Naomi's hometown. See, Naomi had been living for years in Moab with her husband and with her family. But again, her husband dies, her sons die, and she has nothing left, really, so she returns to Bethlehem. But Ruth is by her side. And you see now that these two widows back in Bethlehem have to figure out a way to survive. They have to figure out a way to get some groceries. They need a plan. And we see that plan begin to unfold in verse 2. Ruth says, you know what, hey, I'm going to go by some of the nearby grain fields and see if I can uh, pick up some of the leftover grain as the people are working. You see, this is actually a provision that God has made for the poor and the needy in the Old Testament. God shows his heart for the poor in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, where he commands actually that if you own a field, you are not to just uh, strip all of the wheat and all of the barley From your field, and said you were to leave the corners and the edges of your field untouched so that those who were poor, those who were in need, could go to your field and pick up grain and they could have food. This process wouldn't be without risks. You see, especially for Ruth, who the text tells us is a Moabite, it reminds us that she's a foreigner. It reminds us that she's not in her homeland. It would be slightly risky for her to do this, but this is the only chance that they have. They're depending now on this provision. And so, Ruth goes out, verse 3. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseers of his harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? And the overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. So we see as the story unfolds that Ruth ends up in a field that belongs to a man named Boaz, and Boaz shows incredible kindness to her. He essentially says, hey Ruth, look no further. Don't worry about going to other fields. I want you to stay here. I'm going to take care of you. Take all the grain that you need. Gather it freely. Get water when you're thirsty. He basically tells his workers, hey, don't bother her. Let her take whatever she wants. Don't give her a hard time. And Boaz, as we'll explore further, is showing Incredible kindness over and over again, kindness upon kindness to Ruth. And we see in verse 3 a key part of this story. Now think with me. How did this all begin? All this kindness, all this blessing from Boaz, how did this all start? Look back at verse 3. It says, So she went out and entered. A field and began to glean behind the harvesters, and as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. So notice that Ruth goes out to look for grain, and out of all the acres of field, all the acres to choose from, all the fields to choose from, it turns out she happens to find herself in this field belonging to Boaz. Verse 1 has already hinted for us that Boaz is a distant relative with an obligation, actually, to help Ruth and her family. So we think, what are the odds? Or maybe your translation says she just happened to find herself in this particular field. It just so happened that she stumbled upon Boaz's field, who just so happened to be a relative of her, who would show kindness to her and actually would, would bring hope and redemption into her story as it unfolds. The Hebrew here in the text is actually really interesting. It says that she arrives at the field by chance. It's kind of comparable to our idea of of luck. What a lucky break, the author is saying. But if we pause for a moment and think, do we really believe that that's what the author of Ruth believes is going on? See, I think the author here is actually using irony. I, along with several other scholars and commentators, would see the author here in verse 3 sort of winking at us as he writes this, as if the author is saying, well, what do you know? You know, as it turned out, Ruth just so happened to arrive at the field of Boaz. That's such an interesting coincidence, don't you think? Some translators will look at this Hebrew and actually say it says that chance chanced upon her. And this is actually, I believe, the author's way of creatively telling us that this, in fact, is not a coincidence at all. This isn't just chance. It didn't just happen this way. This is God's sovereign work. This is God's hand providentially guiding the steps of Ruth to just the right field, belonging to just the right man at just the right time. See, someone once said that providence is coincidence in disguise. And God's providence is seen in big moments like this with Ruth, which makes us realize that in the small moments as well, God is there guiding us and at work. Think about this dynamic, though. Ruth gets up in the morning. Ruth has a plan. Ruth takes action. And as far as she can tell, she's the one making things happen. She's the one who has to find food. She's not just you know throwing up a prayer and sitting back and waiting for God to do something. She's stepping out. But at the same time, the text is pointing us to this bigger picture reality, the, the sovereign will of God, the providence of God at work as Ruth is stepping out. That God is going to show his kindness and his love and his care for Ruth and Naomi. That God is working out his will and his plan in their life. God is working to restore their hope. Amber and I haven't shared this this story very often, uh, but when we were looking into foster care, uh, we went through the training, we got approved to become foster parents. Uh, Before Daniel was with us, we we hit kind of a, a fork in the road moment where we were really close to giving up. See, we, we hadn't gotten a placement yet. Daniel wasn't living with us. We hadn't gotten any phone calls from our agency. We had been uh, approved to be foster parents, but for, for weeks and weeks and weeks, nothing was happening. No calls, no placements. And we started to doubt. We, we started to wonder, is, is this what God has for our family? Is this what God wants for us. And so we were praying for clarity. We were praying that God would help us understand what was next. And I remember one afternoon, specifically, Amber and I were out on our patio and we were talking about what was next for our family. We were struggling, saying, we haven't gotten a call. This is just dragging on. Maybe this isn't what God has for us. Maybe we should, you know, press the pause button on this. Maybe we should tell our foster care agency, hey, put us on the don't call list for a little while. Uh, Maybe we'll pursue having some more biological kids, and we'll come back to foster care later. Uh, the waiting was hard, and we were really moments away from making that decision and saying, you know what, let's just push the pause button here. When, the middle of that conversation, my phone rings. Pull the phone out of my pocket. I look at it. It's our foster care agency calling. I look at Amber tell her. And we both say, no way. Our phone hasn't rang in weeks and weeks. And now, right in the middle of this, they're calling. And so I answer it. I say, hey, uh, Matt, Amber, yeah. Um, well, hey, we, we have a, a little boy here. He's about 10 months old. He's going to need a home for a while. Are you guys willing to take him? Now, typically with a call like this, you would uh, go up the child or they'd be brought to you within, you know, 24 hours or so, a pretty short time window. But for a number of reasons, we actually weren't able to have him for about three or four days. But we realized, you know what, if we had waited, if the call uh, wouldn't have come right then and we waited three or four days, we would have already been taken off that list. We were about to make the decision to go another direction. So it just so happened that that phone call came at the exact right moment. What a coincidence. You see, it was clear to us in that moment that it was actually not a coincidence at all. It was God saying to us, ah, 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 not, not so fast. I want you to stay the course. You're, you're doing this. You're going to continue on in foster care. God wanted us to have Daniel with us for, for this season at least. And I bet some of you have stories like this too. Maybe it was a time where you were in need and you know what, God threaded the needle like he did for Ruth and Naomi. A time where you were in the right place at the right time and it just so happened that some of your needs were met. And could you explain away our story or maybe some of your stories as coincidence? Sure. Could you say, you know, "Ah, it just so happened to work out that way? Sure. And you know, for many people, that's exactly what they do. And for for many people, maybe you're listening here, and and your worldview is, is remarkably flat. The way you look at the world, you'd say, you know what? The physical world is all that there is. The world has been emptied out of any sort of transcendence. But as Christians, we believe in a world full of hope, a world full of beauty and meaning, a world where there is a personal God at work who wants to be known and loved and love you, a world where there is a God who is directing our steps and providentially guiding us. And so could it be, friends, that that just as God was providentially at work in Ruth and Naomi's story, that he's providentially at work in your story, that he's at work right now in your life, And if you find yourself in a place of loss, a place of pain, could it be that God is at work already to restore your hope and turn your bitterness into joy? See, friends, in this season, we have the invitation to do a couple things. First, to pray. And I don't want us to overlook here the importance of prayer. We actually see it in the text. If you look back to chapter 1, Naomi tells Ruth to go and and find basically another home. And she actually is praying for Ruth, saying that uh, asking that Ruth would be blessed by God's kindness, that that Ruth would find a new husband, that her life would be restored to fullness. And it seems like the answer to that prayer is now unfolding, just not exactly in the way that Naomi expected. William Temple was an Anglican priest in England back in the, the 40s who said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. And So friends, we're called to pray and trust that God will act and intervene in our story. But we're not just called to pray, right? We pray, but also we step out, right? Look at Ruth. She's not just waiting around. She's taking action. She's making a plan. She's going out looking for food. And so we, like Ruth, are to take action, to send out those resumes, to to make those phone calls, to initiate those conversations, to, to pray and then do something and trust that as we go, God will providentially guide us. And there will be things in our future, doors that open, connections That happened that sure could be explained away as mere coincidence. It just so happened to work out that way. Just random chance. But we're called to trust that actually those are uh, evidence of God at work. And when we start to see God at work connecting the dots, even if it's in small ways, our hope can be restored because we see that God's not done with us. So Ruth, just so happened to end up in Boaz's field and we see Boaz's kindness we already saw this a little bit verse eight and nine says Boaz said to Ruth my daughter listen to me don't go and glean in another field don't go away from here stay here with the women who work for me watch the field where the men are harvesting follow along after the women I've told them not to lay a hand on you and whenever you're thirsty get a drink from the water the jars the men have filled he says, hey, stay in my field. I'm going to protect you. If you're thirsty, get water. Stay with my workers. They're going to take care of you. And then the story unfolds, verse 14. It's time for a meal. It says, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain, and she ate all that she wanted and had some left over. So she has bread and wine vinegar, a little, little lunch, Feast here, some roasted grain on the menu. It's like an all you can eat buffet laid out for her. I mean, how long has it been since Ruth has enjoyed a meal like this? I don't know. Then the rest of the day, verse 15, as she got up to glean again, Boaz gave orders to his men let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. Don't rebuke her. And so Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley. She had gathered and amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. So the rest of the day unfolds, and again, Boaz says, hey, let her have whatever she wants. In fact, make it even easier for Ruth to take home some food. Right? Leave some of your own stocks, he says to his workers, on the ground so that she can pick them up easily. And Ruth goes home loaded full, with a full stomach and, and full bags. Verse 17, she takes home an ephah of barley, which could be roughly uh, 30 pounds. This would feed these two women for, for weeks. I mean, if she were to keep this kind of pace up, uh, her and Naomi would be set for months and months and months and months and months and months. And months, and months. So Boaz shows protection, provision, kindness over and over again in chapter 2. He's going above and beyond what the law would require. And note the connection to prayer here also. Verse 11 and 12. Boaz replied when Ruth is asking him, Hey, why are you being so nice to me? Boaz in verse 11. I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. you see his prayer here, essentially? May the Lord repay you. May God reward you. May God bless you. He believes that God will take care of of Ruth because she has taken care of Naomi. And then we see God responding. God blesses Ruth. God's rewarding. She's going home full. They have food for weeks and on and on. How? How does God do this? God answers Boaz's prayer by using Boaz. You see that? God answers Boaz's prayer for Ruth by using Boaz. Moaz. So have you ever considered that God wants you to be the answer to some of your prayers? Have you considered that as you are moved by the needs around you and you pray for those who are hurting, you pray for people and pray for specific situations, that God may be in fact leading you to step out and meet some of those needs. And God might use you to answer some of those prayers. Friends, we talked about this last week. God wants to show his heart through your hands. God wants to show his kindness to those in need through acts of loyal love by his people, people like Ruth, people like Boaz here in chapter 2. My old boss and mentor and pastor and friend uh, named Jeff in Colorado once shared a story about this. He and his wife had just moved to Pagosa Springs, small little town, mountain town in Colorado, to plant a church fresh out of seminary. And shortly after arriving there, their first child was born premature. And so they racked up a tremendous amount of medical bills and their portion was about $4,500. But they had no way to pay these bills. They'd taken them everything they had just to get to Pagosa Springs. Uh, they didn't have much money at all, had no idea how to pay those bills. The pressure built up, and as the pressure built up, bitterness in Jeff's heart began to build as well. So God, I'm doing your work. I'm a pastor. I'm planting a church. This is all for you. Why has my life taken this sort of turn here? How in the world are we going to get out of this debt? It's crushing. They were part of a small group, and so they They mentioned this to their small group, just the need. Hey, would you pray for us? They didn't mention specifics of the amount that they needed. Someone in that small group had a a brother-in-law who was visiting from out of town. He was visiting from Texas. And this man who was in Jeff's small group mentioned to his brother-in-law what was going on. And it just so happened that this man's brother-in-law knew some people uh, back at his church in Texas who had mentioned that the elders were actually looking for a way to help someone in need. Their church was praying for and actively looking for someone in need that they could help. They felt God was putting it on their heart to reach out in some way, but they didn't know what that need was. A couple days later, after Jeff's small group took place, Jeff got a phone call from an assistant to the lead pastor at this church in Texas. The church was called the Austin Stone Community Church. It's a pretty big church, pretty well-known church now, but at the time it was only a couple years old. The lead pastor there was Matt Carter. And his assistant called Jeff and said, hey, we've, we've heard about your need and we want to help. And so Jeff shared some of the details with this assistant over the phone. You know, we have several bills uh, racking up to about $4,500. The woman called back a few days later and said, Hey, would you fax us a copy of the bill? We want to help you out. And Jeff said, Well, well which bill? And she said, All of them. We want to just pay the whole thing. Jeff was floored. You see, God had moved... On Matt Carter's heart the lead pastor of the Austin Stone Community Church to be looking for someone to help in need and Matt has shared that with the elders of the church and the elders of the church just so happened to pass that info along uh, to this one man who was visiting his brother-in-law in Bogosa Springs who just so happened to be in the same small group with Pastor Jeff in Bogosa Springs who heard about the need and made that connection what a coincidence This was God saying to Jeff, I see you. I'm here. And so friends, some of us need to be encouraged to be like Boaz. To be like Boaz and realize that God may use you to show love and kindness to those in need. Especially in this season right now. And like last week, we talked about how God wants to show his heart through your hands God did this for Ruth and Naomi through Boaz communicating to these widows I'm not done with you and the question is what can you do with what you have you might not be able to pay off five thousand dollars in medical bills just like that you might not run a big operation run a business like Boaz did as he was able to care for Ruth but what can you do with what you have you're not called to do everything, but you are called to do something. So what are the needs around you, in your neighborhood, in your family? What acts of kindness and love, sacrificial love, can you show? In verse 19, the story continues. After this full day of labor, uh, Ruth comes home. Verse 19, her, her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped Showing kindness, his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. And then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him. Because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. It's a pretty joyful scene to end the chapter. You notice at the end of chapter one was pretty bleak and dark, but now Naomi is celebrating with Ruth. Ruth is sharing the details of the day. I went to this field, this man named Boaz. Look what he did. Oh my goodness, that's spectacular. Look, he even let me go and gather as much as I could. He said, stay with my workers. I'm gonna get to, I'm gonna be safe there. I'm gonna be protected and it was this is incredible and we actually learn here in this interaction this dialogue at the end of the chapter more about boaz right verse 20 says he's one of our guardian redeemers see naomi knows who boaz is she says oh he's actually a relative of ours a guardian redeemer maybe a kinsman redeemer is the language that you've heard before as we look at this book. This was a man who had the responsibility to care for these family members who would redeem potentially lost property, who would possibly raise up offspring to carry on the family line. Someone had a responsibility, an obligation to care for the needs of family members. And so here then, immediately, our hope is stirred. Could Boaz be the one who steps into this story and redeems the entire thing? Could he be more than just a a nice man who owns a grain field and provides temporary relief for Ruth and Naomi? Could he be the man that God uses to restore this whole situation? We'll have to read on to see. But here I want us to realize that there's a bigger picture story that this all is connected to. Think about it. What did Ruth and Naomi need? Well, they, they needed a redeemer. They needed someone outside of their situation who could step into their situation and fix it and protect them and provide for them and help them. Does that sound familiar? See, the story of Naomi that we're looking at in the book of Ruth is actually a microcosm of the bigger story of redemption that the Bible is telling. It's a picture of the gospel and God's kindness towards us in Christ. See, we, like Naomi, like Ruth, were desperate, dead in our sin, lost in need of a redeemer, in need of someone from outside of our situation to step in and change things and protect us and provide for us. And friends, that's exactly what we have in Jesus Christ. That's exactly what we believe Jesus has done for us. He looked at our desperate, hopeless situation and he stepped in and he died for our sins and he rose again to give us new life and new hearts and his spirit within us and a relationship with him. And so friends, if you're here this morning and you're listening and and life has emptied you out, and you're discouraged, and your heart is heavy, Maybe you're just tired after years of trying to do it on your own, you're at the end of your rope, I encourage you, would you look to Jesus? Jesus wants to redeem your story. Jesus wants to bring you into a relationship with him. God wants to lavish his grace and his love upon you that he's shown us in Christ. Because in Christ, God has shown us his kindness. He's shown us a way to have eternal life Forgiveness of our sins, the love of our father brought back into his home as his child. So some of us this morning, we need to learn to trust God and that his hand is providentially guiding us like Ruth. Some of us need to be like Boaz and encouraged to show grace and kindness to those in need around us. All of us here need to be reminded of God's kindness towards us in Christ. All of us need to see that God in Christ has redeemed us, forgiven us, restored us, both now and given us eternal life with him forever. So I invite you, if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning, if you're with us, if you're watching and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I invite you, to turn to him in prayer now, to turn from your sin, to cry out in faith to him, and put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. That, that reminds us that you are at work in our story. Even if we can't see it right away or even if we could maybe try and explain things away as just coincidence, Lord, it's your hand. You are guiding us. You are at work. You're not done with us and we praise you for that. We pray you'd help us to trust you. Help us believe that you are good and you are at work. And Lord, help us be like Boaz. Give us wisdom and insight to know where we can take care of others and bless others and show incredible kindness to others. In sacrificial love, Lord, would you lead us in that this week? Help us look for opportunities. And I pray, Lord, that you help all of us just uh, stand in awe of your incredible grace and your favor and your kindness that you've shown us through the work of Jesus. We didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve your grace or earn your favor, but you freely gave it to us to be received by faith. So we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, friends, we're going to have uh, one last song to sing and worship and celebrate who God is. And then right after that, again, we have the after party uh, on Zoom. The link will be there in the chat. We'd love for you to join us. Just say a quick hello. You can see other people's faces. And if you haven't checked in yet in the chat box, let us know you are with us. We'd love to be able to follow up with you to just say hello. We'll see you soon.